I'm Josh Gonzalez, and this is the Love Is Podcast. This podcast is intended to widen your perspective on love. And the only way to accomplish this is by going deep. Look, if you're living and breathing right now, you've already got experience with love. That's not the question here. This podcast and the question of this podcast is, how do we become a practitioner of love? Desmon Omega Fair. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yes. Desmond, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I have to say that your your name is is pretty badass, by the way. <laughs> so just wondering, um, you know, where does it come from? What does it mean? Um, and yeah, let's start with that. Well, um, it's my birth name. Um, it's actually, it's transitioned into a stage name now that I'm, I'm married. I kind of use it only for my, um, art and poetry practice when I'm, um, like such as this. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's moved into what it sounds like, but it's actually my birth name. Um, obviously my surname is fair. I think it's like, um, Scottish or something. Um, okay. And Omega is my dad's middle name, who was actually named Alpha <laughs> by his mother, my grandmother. Um, and Desmond, um, I was actually named after Desmond Tutu. My mom was really inspired by him at the time, but she wasn't really satisfied with the spelling. So being mm-hmm. the creative she is she you know switched the s for z put a apostrophe and capitalized the m and dropped the d so it's desmond omega fair yeah wow (laughs) i mean i most my little brother is grant rashawn stewart um and my elder sister is aisha corletta wow yeah I've, i've been watching um i'm really into like futuristic type type uh tv series and and movies um so i don't know why omega <laughs> reminds me of I know, it's, something it's like futuristic <laughs> <laughs> so i love that um love your whole name by the way um so why don't we just start off by where did where did where did you grow up i know you live in long beach now um and you're you're currently in hawaii with your sister mm mm-hmm. mhm and your sister and your niece. Mm-hmm. And how are you guys doing, by the way, right now? We're good. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's a transition for everybody. You know, it sounded when she asked me to um, homeschool and sit Blair while she works because she's in real estate, like large commercial real estate. So they're, you know, still trying to organize themselves. So she's still very much at work. Um, and my brother-in-law works for the city so they're both really busy so it was kind of a it was a snap decision but it also feels good now that we're all here um it did take me a minute to adjust just because you know the last time i was here obviously it was like vacation time vacation mode and i kind of had a little bit of that in the back of my head 
but it really it's really not you know like it's there's no beaches there's no hikes um it's, we're very much a part of the global situation so it's 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 bittersweet um and then i also had to leave my my honey behind um so we and all, is, how is how is he doing is he is he working well, right now too yeah, or is he nick quarantined is, like is the rest school, of us yeah quarantine like everyone else nick is in school he has also a very full schedule so he's you know been really occupied throughout the entire situation so it seemed like a, a fine decision you know because yeah. nick is you know, he's very much very studious <laughs> um and i was just sort of idle um a little bit so i was like i just need to do something that feels like i'm engaged um and i definitely got that because being with a nine-year-old <laughs> for you know all, all the time it's it's really intense <clears throat> Um, yeah, great, for sure, and great, intense in a good way because she's she's a lot of energy. <laughs> <laughs> so she's she's nine years old. She's nine. Um, Blair um, Warren is her name. <laughs> Love that. So let's let's um, why don't we take it back a little bit to um, you can start wherever you like, but like where did you grow up and what mm-hmm. what kind of kind of childhood did you have? Uh, I grew up in Orangeburg, South Carolina. Um, my childhood was good. I mean, it was fine. You know, I feel like um, growing up in the South, there's a lot of like complication there with the history, but I feel like when I'm thinking specifically about just being a kid, you know, it was really, just really joyous, you know, being a country kid, there's, not a lot of, um, I was going to say there's not a lot of structure, but I, I think I just mean that there's like, I don't know, it's just country, you know, there's like, you know, you're playing in the woods, in the backwoods, you know, there's like swamps everywhere, there's farms everywhere, and, you know, there's dirt roads and pickup trucks, and, you know, it was very that, um, <clears throat> and that's really fun. Um, and ironically, or uh, nicely enough, there's wild roosters here on the island, so it kind of reminds me of my childhood while I'm here. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's, and there's. Um, Were you? Uh, did you play outside a lot? And oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like I was kind of both. You know, I was inside, you know, very much to myself, um, but I also love the love the outdoors. I would go into the woods by myself quite often, actually. Hmm. Now you you're uh, I guess a multidisciplinary or interdisciplinary artist. Um, you do painting. Um, you do uh, poetry. Um, you're also involved with a lot of documentary film projects. Where where did you kind of um, get interested in art? Like as a child, what were you up to? Um, I mean, I drew quite often. Um, it was always sort of my my mental respite, just sort of like taking my pencil and drawing. Like princesses were my first my first image of anything that I can remember. It's like that that cone princess hat, like a princess gnome thing with like a flag on her head, it was something that I drew a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
I'm trying to imagine. I'm trying to imagine it. It's just like, like you're talking about like a really like, ancient princess, right? Well, I yeah, like a some, yeah, like a you know princess trapped in a tower situation sort of thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my first, my first uh, remember memory of like a drawing right now. Um, so yeah, I would do that a lot, and um, I don't know. I feel like. Art's always kind of been around. My mom, you know, she tried to do the whole, like, you know, let's be a boy thing and, like, play sports. And I wasn't really into it. I didn't really get competitive until, like, high school. But not even then because it's, like, I, I ran track, but which is an individual-minded sport. But um, it's, oh. it's um, yeah, so I was just not really doing what she was trying to suggest for me. And then finally she just realized that I was painting and things so she just bought me some art supplies and let me be um so i was able to be pretty creative throughout my entire childhood and then that led me to going to art school and whatnot wow wow first um i actually actually ran track as well yeah so i'm i'm kind of interested in what um uh what kind of uh races did you run i am not very I'm not very fast, but I I can I have stamina. Like I, I ran the four by four hundred or four by eight hundred or something like that. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh that that was my race as well. The four hundred. It's fun, you know. I would get like headaches at the end of it. Like my I would have a migraine like right at that last that last mark. Did you did you get nervous like before your races? You know? Um, you know, I don't think so. I did. I did go. I did place third at the state level, but I went to a small school though. It wasn't like a, one of those mega schools. I graduated with like yeah. thirty other people. Um, wow. Yeah, but um, wow. I don't think I got nervous. I think I was just. I think at that point I was just like, you know what, this is this is what it is, and I'm just gonna run and. Something felt good about it, obviously, because I did it a lot. I was uh, scrolling down your your Instagram feed. Oh God, what haven't um, I deleted yet? <laughs> I've done that a couple times already. It's kind of creepy, I know. But, no, I mean, that's what it's there for. <laughs> but there was um, it was you running on the track, mm-hmm. and uh, you had these really, um, really cool colorful pants uh tights tights mm-hmm. on um and you had this badass wing coming out of your shoe i was like oh shit that's pretty sick <laughs> i don't know if it was like a wing was it a wing or something but it was on your shoe and uh yeah it was pretty creative you you you're also a stylist right or you've done some stylist work? I have been in hot pursuit of a styling existence. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've worked in, I've like done some fashion assisting. I have uh, done wardrobe for some small independent films for my friends who are filmmakers. Um, and yeah, I've, I've done a few things in the, in the realm of wardrobe and costume and fashion. Right on. Um, I think, I think we should play some of your, one of your, um, um, you call it, uh, sound poetry or how would you describe your poetry? I'm calling them novel sonics. Novel Um, sonics. Okay. Yeah. It's sort of, I mean, I don't know. I 
I'm not sure if it's an actual genre yet, but I, when I was having this conversation of what to call it, I heard like literary sound was an option out there. Um, but I, yeah, I wasn't really satisfied with that. So novel being something that's wants to be special or different. And then obviously a novel is in a storyline or narrative. And then Sonic is obviously sound. Um, which incorporates both narrative poems and the collaboration with various sound artists, most all of which right now are with uh, my good friend Coleman Moore. So yeah, they're not Coleman, Coleman Moore. Coleman Moore. Okay, so he he's also um, he's a co-creator of of mm-hmm. these. He does the audio. Um, I'm gonna play. Let's see. Uh, myth out of mind mm-hmm. can you just give us a little introduction and then i'll play it and then we myth can kind of follow out of up mind yeah i just had this really trippy experience i feel like my first trippy experience like outer body inner body experience and yeah this poem is a reflection on it What is your relationship to creation? She is me. Or at least she's been following me around. I must have been 20 years old when I officially realized. Or at least stopped to think. Am I being watched? Am I being raised? I was biking through Savannah late at night, biking to a house party. I remember being thrilled. I remember being fun. The wind was blowing past my ears. I agree, this wind must know. I was already suspended. Then I hit the curb. I fell into the air, and what felt like hands and feline-like reflexes I turned, twisted in the air, and landed on my feet astonished. I looked around to see if anyone saw because it felt otherworldly. It was me. I was alone. No one was there. My bike remained in perfect condition. I've always felt like some inner otherness pushing on me. But that was my first real, surreal proof. If I'm really thinking, considering the science, how can I trust her again? Myth out of mind. So what I've picked up from from that um, that track is this is a story about you falling off a bike mm-hmm. and being caught by by yourself or the way you landed was like you felt like you were caught by by something right it was weird <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I really don't know how else to describe it. Like, I 
I was just biking down the street, wasn't paying attention because a reckless person at the time. Um, and I hit the curb, flew in the air, and then it, I felt really, really high in the air, and I was like, "Fuck, this is this is how it, this is how it goes. This is what you did." Um, you know, skull cracked in the middle of the night in the street, and then all of a sudden, it, that wasn't it. <clears throat> I was just standing there, and yeah, I just like, oh my gosh, yeah, it was just weird. And how how old were you when this happened? Um, I had to have been twenty, or maybe nineteen. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I thought you were for some reason. I thought you were like a child or something mm-hmm. when you. I was in the story. I was in college at the time. I, w- I went to the Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. Oh, okay. So I was in Savannah, Georgia, going to a house party. Wow, that is pretty crazy. <laughs> I just went to this, I just went to the party afterwards. I was like, "Whoa, guys!" <laughs> really cool story. To, uh, yeah, to yeah. To the party. <laughs> <laughs> um, you you've mentioned before in some of your writing, and I know like art is like a is one of those things that could be really um therapeutic mm-hmm. and i'm just wondering how that how that really started for you in your journey like how did yeah how did that become therapeutic for you i mean it just is um i think that hmm. well for one when I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to start this because I'm teetering between a story of childhood or a story of when I was older. Um, but I feel like I was just, when I was living in New York, I felt like I was sort of like just wandering around or like moving in circles or, you know, lying to myself about things and, you know, trying to force myself into making a career out of something that I like to do. Um, which is sort of what the logic was, I guess, at the time in general, you know, like make your, make something you enjoy your career, you know? Um, but I feel like I was also feeling kind of directionless or something. Like there wasn't like a lot of passion for the things that I was doing at the time. And I felt like just a little empty. (laughs) Um, And so I had to look at that, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I just, you know, it was a series of that. It was, that was pretty much the base of my feelings at the time. And then from there, obviously, like, soul searching starts to happen. So I just started going to art shows in New York City and, you know, out of a, a sense of, honestly, arrogance and, like, you know, just not under, not you know, not fully understanding what it means to create something. Like I've drawn, you know, like we draw and we make things, we go to school, but I feel like there's a certain point, like once you make enough art to a certain point, like it really does start to affect your way of thinking. Um, So I, a series of coincidences were my, hmm, my former boss of mine 
asked me to commissioned me for a girls club for a summer camp or something to that effect. And she just needed some imagery for that project. And so she brought all of the supplies for me. I did the, I did the assignment and I had the paints like sort of laid over and they were just like in a box in my room. And then you know, I'm having all these feelings about where I'm going. And I went into a art supply store after leaving um, an art show that I was just sort of unimpressed by and started painting, you know, like put your fucking money where your mouth is, you know, kind of <laughs> deal. Mm. And I think from there it was just, it was, you know, that arrogance really left because once you are actually trying to pull out an image and you can't make that image, you know, there's like a sense, there's like that continued sense of failure. But then I feel like art really just does, it just reflects your own psychology back to you. So I just began to see, you know, like the frustrations that would come up not being able to get something done in a piece would also come up in my react, in my interactions with other people and in the physical world, the world around me. And I couldn't help but see those parallels and then working through painting helped me work through other issues, <laughs> you know, and, and I wasn't even really thinking about it consciously at the time, but, you know, after a year, I just felt relaxed in my presence and in myself and something about my mind slowed down. I feel like so often there's just like, I think in images um, for a really long time. And I just <clears throat> feel like I was able to just flush all of, you know, my BS that I had held up inside of me for so long. Um, and then I was able to make some definite decisions about my life, you know, and not like pussyfooting around decisions. I was able to move forward with a bunch of ideas, both artistically, personally, professionally, um, romantically, you know, family-based decisions became a lot easier. And it was definitely because I was processing my emotions in a really healthy way. And it was just me and watercolor, you know, like mm. the thing about watercolor is it's, it's, well, first of all, it's, it's alive. You know, like you have to understand that water is a living thing. Um, and it's not the same kind of life as talking to a person, but it does have us have a way of communicating ideas to you. I mean, there's, you know, we wouldn't be able to be alive if it wasn't for water. You know, water is the first thing they look for to find life. So it definitely is something mathematical yeah. and primordial and completely deep, deep, deep inside of us that I can't even begin to articulate. But I definitely knew something was talking to me. I was working with this thing. <clears throat> um, and that idea really began to magnify throughout my entire life. Like I, I am working with my environment. How, you know, <clears throat> and what yeah. and what's in, what's the best possible outcome? What's the most beautiful outcome? I'm really into beauty. Um, and I like to achieve beauty in my work and in my life. And so how can I <laughs> not make every situation ugly. And I feel like there was a period in my life where things were just kind of ugly um, within my own cognition and around me. And I couldn't not see the ugliness and I needed it to be something better. 
it also mm. <laughs> revealed my idealism and like my uh, a tendency to want to be correct or something. I don't know. I'm still working through that, I guess. But it's like, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, can I ask? Yeah, sorry. Could I ask you? Could I ask? Sorry to interrupt. No, um, could I ask you what, like looking kind of going back to that place um, in New York and, you know, when you started doing this waterless painting and um, reaching for beauty and working through, um, you know, your issues going on at the time, what, what was the biggest, like, was there, was there like a challenge um, that comes to mind that was, that you really kind of transformed through Hmm. at the time? Yeah. I think just that very, hmm. I think just sort of accepting where I had actually, landed in my life or at least sorry being able to understand that i hadn't actually made any mistakes that actually you know like i was hoping to be of a certain thing at a certain time right you know like we have these deadlines here mm-hmm. in a capitalist society right <clears throat> and so it was kind of the moment where i'm like okay well i have been following my intuition i have been following like my sense of inner love the sense of love that my parents gave me you know like I've been trying to do that and like Mm -hmm. you have that be a guiding force but also I'm unsatisfied you know (laughs) so it's kind of that kind of that dilemma so like just understanding that hey like this is where I am this is the present where where were you to change I mean from your perception where were you like I was just um not you know, I was, I felt like I wasn't making enough money, you know, like I was working um, in restaurants and people, you know, have their opinions about people working in restaurants. I was letting, you know, I was just letting outside, I was letting society tell me who I should be. And also just like understanding that I wasn't what everyone wanted me to be. And I wasn't what I thought I wanted to be. So everything, you know, there's like arrows, I'm pointing arrows at myself. I feel like society's pointing arrows at me as well. And so just sort of dismissing mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and just owning where I was and being honest with where I was in my life is what painting gave me in that first, I think that first, like, okay, this is something that feels good release, you know, being able to release like grudges that I'd held on for years, you know, things like that, that just unnecessary feelings and thoughts. Um, and just being like, okay, well, here we are now it's over. I mean, it's still there, but it's it's been over, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm actually reading this this uh, this book. On, <clears throat> um, it's called the The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And um, um, anyways, it was what's talking the about. Author? Um, I, I know that book. My my husband has that book. Uh, uh, Bessel van der Kolk. He's an oh. MD. Okay. Bessel van der Kolk. So, yeah, I can. It does, and it's true. The body does keep the keep the score. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's, and it it know. was talking about you know those psychology cards that um, psychologists or psych psych um, psychiatrists cards? use. You mean like yeah, they're ink I forgot what they're called, but they're like what was that? Like ink blocks, ink blocks. 
blots. Yeah, 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 I yeah, think yeah, they, okay. yeah. With like the silhouette, the grayscale uh, silhouettes. That's yeah, it's like, yeah, what okay. do you see? And then, right. like, you know, you see like your trauma, or <laughs> right. you see like something. Um, I think they used it for um, uh, veteran veteran sh- soldiers mm-hmm. um, to kind of see, you know, their perception. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this is what your your um, water is colorless, and you going through these therapies. Um, doing these paintings was kind of reminding me of, mm-hmm. um, but uh, not that it looks like these yeah, blots. I mean, it, it's all there. <laughs> it really is all there. You know, it's like there's no, there's no way escaping the history of imagery. You know, whatever's in your head is in your head, and it's also. I mean, <clears throat> I, I really, um, I, hmm, I was most of my drawings at that time also were fashion sketching or like fashion leaning croquis. Um, little like very thin model-esque you know like that sort of old old model type Um, and a lot of my earlier works are coming out of that really rigid thinking I think that was just sort of like an example of my rigid rigid thinking Um, and also a frustration I was having with working um, in an industry of aesthetics like I think there was this moment where I was just like looking at everyone all the pictures that I idolized for so long, and I also had nieces um, were just being born. I was sort of like, you know, these aren't the same. You know, like I just felt like I wasn't producing the kind of beautiful images that I could even relate to, like my nieces. And I was just having really a lot of uh, just issues with marketing. You know, people were just way too thin. Um, but now all of that's changed. You know, I feel like the fashion industry has gotten a lot more. I hate the using the word inclusive. It's just more human, you know, like, you know, people yeah. are of different sizes and shapes and bodies. And I feel like it's not, yeah. I mean, when I look at people wearing nice things and wearing clothes that look great on them, I'm, I, I mean, obviously I notice what kind of like body type there are, but I feel like I'm more thinking about how they have chosen to express themselves aesthetically and appreciating that versus, you know, something that they did or didn't luck into being born into a form. Yeah, no, I totally connect with that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to give this really giving away this uh, <laughs> example is going to give away my, some of my recent behavior. But anyways, I've been like doing online dating. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And, uh, you know, some of the women, um, some of the profiles of, of women are, you know, really um, sexy. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can, I get caught up in like, just you get looking at these photos. I'm like, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're getting caught and up. I get caught up in looking at these photos and there is a big difference between aesthetics, um, which I think, you know, it's easy to get distracted by, um, aesthetics versus beauty, which is mm-hmm. uh, a lot deeper. Yeah. And it's not fixed to just, you know, skinny models, but yeah. it, it's kind of expansive in that sense. I don't know. How do you think about aesthetics and beauty and how does that cross over? I mean, I think anything's beautiful that like makes the person smile. You know what I mean? Like it could be a sound or like a way someone chose to do something or like a curious decision. 
like idiosyncrasies or sorry, idiosyncrasies. Anyway, <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? Those like things that make people specific, very things that make them themselves. Um, and you can tell that it's this person is being very uniquely authentic or themselves in a way. Um, I think is beautiful. And I also feel like when people have like a an actual aesthetic, you know, it, it communicates who you are visually. And I just I appreciate people who can let you know something about themselves with just something that they've chosen to put on, you know. I love the crossover because it just goes to show that it, you know, beauty is not just it's not just visual it's it's audio and um i wanted to play something a track that you made called vox populi vox populi vox populi voice of the people um, voice of the people okay um so before i play what what is it and um <laughs> from- so like uh well this is a combination of things. Like it's funny because I I started recording poems, not understanding what it was going to actually do to like my practice. Like I honestly thought Coleman when I were going to like record to his tape recorder and like he would have a, a guitar or something, <laughs> you know. But turns out he had a whole production studio in his garage and like a whole orchestra was at my throat. Um, and Coleman is really talented. So definitely we, we, um, we energized each other. So it turned into things that I wasn't even expecting. That being said, when I first started this, I was like trying to avoid things. Like I'm not trying, I'm not a singer. This is a terrible introduction to this thing, but I'm like, I'm not a singer, you know, like I don't, I don't want to be out here pretending I can sing or like, but a but at that point we had done three albums and we just got really comfortable with each other and I do really like just sort of like trancey dance tracks that have just one line and I was like if I if we do make a song if we really lean into that I kind of want it to be that sort of aesthetic and I'm not sure if anyone knows who Glass Candy is but she basically just kind of like moans to a drum beat or like a, a droney beat. <laughs> so this is my glass candy love anthem club poem slash I don't know three shots of whiskey and being a little disoriented and having a good time.
Yo, I was like really bobbing my head to that right now. <laughs> well, I'm glad. It's a really fun, fun. It's a fun song. I mean, it was it I, was kind of a puzzle for us. We were like, I really wanted to do it. Coleman really wanted to do it, but I was like, it just something about it is not quite right. And we were just like really massaging this like thing out. I mean, I'm glad you like it. It it kind of well, still sends me a little bit into embarrassment, but I'm glad that it exists for sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm so glad you guys did it. (laughs) (laughs) That was really cool. And that concludes the first part of my interview with Desmond Omega Fair. Uh, Tune in for the next episode. 
I'll be featuring some more music from Desmond and um, we'll be doing the shots of love. So tune in. <laughs>